Well, let's start the new year also with Dr. Manish Shafarik from Shafarik Dental on Route 66 East in Columbia. And this month, Dr. Shafarik will discuss feeling good starts from the inside. Bernice, good morning. Happy New Year to you. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. So what's this feeling good starts from the inside thing all about? So I had the opportunity to have my teeth cleaned, and I laid back in my hygienist chair, and I realized that Kim has a sign on the ceiling that you can look at as you're having your teeth cleaned that says, feeling good starts from the inside. And you didn't know that until you got your teeth cleaned? No, I didn't, because, you know, you don't look up at the ceiling, but she has, um, she's always put things up there, and, and she varies them. Sometimes she'll have fruit, and you know, to remind people about good nutrition. Sometimes she has butterflies, and and now she had feeling good starts from the inside, and I didn't really get a chance to talk to her about it because it was Thursday, New Year's Eve, when I had my teeth cleaned, but I started thinking about, you know, what that really means to us, and, um, you know, to me, it, it basically means what what can I do to help myself and right now we have really turbulent times with all the COVID stuff going on and it's easy to feel like you don't have any control anymore Um, but I think we do have control and we have hope about certain certain things so that's what that all started me thinking about. And when you say feeling good starts on the inside in your profession does that particularly mean inside the mouth? So it means inside the body, but it also means inside our psychological and emotional state, because that has a lot to do with it. And right now, I think people are facing challenges that they haven't had to face before. So um, New Year's, you know, we always think about New Year's resolutions and what we should do. So then I think starting to think about your health is an important thing to do. So, yes, feeling good starts from the inside, partially is inside the mouth, because basically good health does start with a healthy mouth. So here we are in 2021. Should I make some New Year's resolutions, Bernice? So, you know, I think we all do, and then I think a lot of people feel frustrated because in general, you know, around four to six weeks into it, you feel like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, following through with my resolutions. Um, so I thought it would be worth talking about it a little bit. So I think for most people, a lot of our New Year's resolutions are about looking better and feeling better. Do you get a lot of people when they make New Year's resolutions that make them about dentistry? Well, you know, it's not directly about dentistry, but I really think um, dentistry is essential to our to our health. And I think people realize how much that mouth health has to do with their general health. For example, the people who decide, oh, I'm going to quit smoking this year. One of the things that is in the data about um, successfully quitting smoking is having your teeth cleaned because when you have your teeth cleaned, all of a sudden there's that fresh, healthy feeling, and it's more inspiring not to smoke. The next thing that happens is at your dental visit, we always do an oral cancer exam. So uh, smokers, so there's many variations. So my um, 
patients who chew tobacco, they have always have clear lesions in their mouth. So when I say lesion, it's an area of the gum tissue that looks different from the rest of the gum tissue. So a lot of times that's a whitened area, and those are basically precancerous lesions. So we have the opportunity to help people with their New Year's resolutions by showing them what's going on in their mouth and what effect that bad habit is having on their mouth. Other resolutions can be to change your diet. So again, people come in and we look in their mouths and maybe they have decay or maybe they have what we call erosive lesions. And those are areas where the enamel is worn away in the mouth. And sometimes that has to do with a habit of too much soda or um, too much fruit juice or something. So there's a lot of ways that we can impact people's resolutions. Let me go back to the chewing tobacco and the lesions in the mouth. What about people who do not, A, chew, or B, smoke? Do you find lesions or other signs of cancer on your oral exam with them as well? Well, luckily, it's still pretty rare. I think the um, numbers are in the United States that 38,000 people die of cancer per year. So the odds of finding someone are low, but we um, have had conversations, especially uh, my hygienist had a conversation with um, an oral surgeon that we refer to, and she unfortunately did have a case of someone who was young and um, had stage four oral cancer. So we review with her what things to look for and the value of that oral cancer exam for a lot of people is that we see what the normal looks like. I mean, when you look through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of of mouths, then you get to know what's normal, so what's abnormal sticks out. So it used to be that most of the people who got oral cancer had to do with um, use of um, tobacco and alcohol. But there's a new component of people who don't have those habits that uh, seems to be related to the um, to the uh, herpes, and so those vaccinations that they're starting to do for kids, we're hoping will also have an impact. But it is pretty rare, but it is a reassuring thing to have happen when you come in and, and you're given a clean bill of health. People who do smoke, we do see changes in their mouth. Those are pretty common. So when they start out as white areas, that is less um, suspicious than when it turns into a white and red area. That person you want to go see someone for a biopsy immediately. When you talk about the relationship between oral health and systemic health, does that mean oral health health is essentially inside the mouth and systemic health is the rest of your body? Correct. And, you know, right now especially, we all want to have as um, healthy a body as possible because our immune system needs to fight that potential threat of the COVID virus. So, um, there was a there's a wonderful researcher who just passed away at age 69. A woman who was uh, dean of the of the medical school, I mean medical school, dental school in Pennsylvania, and she um, had a quote not too long ago as a result of her research that one of the most cost effective ways to fight systemic disease 
is to take care of your gum and bone infection because there's a clear relationship with um, hypertension and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and pregnancy, and the list goes on and on. So within the dental sphere, we basically provide this essential care where we actually remove the bacteria that inflames the tissues and help train people and educate them. So our role is basically diagnosis, education, prevention, and then treating disease. And I think we're one of the few remaining areas of medicine where all those things can happen in the same setting. I mean, we don't have to send people off for tests or for a consult with a specialist as often as primary care physicians do. Dr. Madish Shafarik, very active with the Willimantic Seroptimus Club, and we still are in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas. What are the 12 days of Seroptimus? So um, if you go on our Facebook page, um, Joan Merritt, one of our Seroptimus members, has developed the 12 days of Seroptimus. And that actually, each day she has gone through to describe some area of what we do as Seroptimus. So you can learn a lot of detail about what we do there. But just to to do a recap, we do have, um, despite the COVID, we've been continuing with Zoom meetings and um, other fundraising efforts. And we are offering two awards now as, as a result of having raised those funds. And one of them is the Women Helping Women Award. And the deadline for that is February 1st. And that traditionally is given to a woman who has an impact on other women in our society. So we could really help uh, use the help of the general public if you know of a woman who really is impacting other women in children's lives, then just let us know because we'll give her that award or nominate her for that award. And the one who wins, we do give a contribution to their charity of choice. The other award that is our yearly award is the Live Your Dream Award. And that goes to a woman who is head of household, has a financial need, and is enrolled in an educational program. So we give her money to, to reach her goal, and that can be used for child care or, or anything else. And then I also wanted to mention that we have um, the DREAM grants that we give to women who are pursuing certification or licensing and need that um, fee for the exam, and we actually give a gas card also for them to be able to get to the exam. And I'm really happy to report that in 2020, we gave over $6,000 in DREAM grants to women in the Wyndham area. We talked about uh, the sign and the hygiene room when Bernice was getting her teeth cleaned, as everybody should do. So how do you assess the current state, Bernice? So um, I think that each of us individually has to assess our current state. And we definitely, in the environment we are in, there are issues that we have to consider. So I think COVID has made us have to pre-think so, so many things. And an important thing before you decide what direction you're going to take to make yourself um, feel feel good and look good is to decide, you know, where you want to start. So I think a, a dental visit is a great way, as you said, to keep your teeth cleaned, get your immune system pumped, 
maybe think about are there um, things I want to improve aesthetically. And that's interesting to me because despite the fact that we're all wearing masks, I still have patients coming in who say that, you know, the, the way their smile looks really doesn't feel supportive. You know, it makes them really not feel good about themselves. And some of them will say, yeah, I mean, it's good that we have masks, but I really do think that part of it is the people who are closest to you who see you without your mask, they have an influence also that you'd rather have have everything look as good as it possibly could. So COVID definitely has complicated a lot of things for us. And one of the first issues, I think, when people are thinking about, okay, well, I'm going to make my dental appointment to try to make myself feel good and look better, and you start to think, well, you know, how safe is this? So just as an update about that, in the um, Journal of the American Dental Association, there was a survey done, and in general, the rates of COVID positivity among dentists were 0.9%, so a pretty low infectivity rate. The CDC research has shown that there has not been one instance of COVID being transferred through the dental office, which makes sense to me because, as I've said, we're kind of the poster children for infection control. Now we've just upped our game more. And I think part of the challenge sometimes for people thinking about infection control when you're not in a profession like I am is you hear things. So, for example, people hear you don't have to wear a mask if you're outside. Well, that's true unless you are within two feet or three feet of another person. And then you really should be wearing your mask. So a lot of us are taking advantage of walks. I know you do that, Wayne. And so I always have my mask along because you could encounter someone who gets pretty close to you. Well, the sidebar on that, Bernice, is that not only do I bring the mask along when I am walking the airline or the Hop River Trail or the Willimantic River Trail, at this time of the year, what I've discovered is it also keeps your face and your mouth warm. So that's a win-win. Right, right. And, you know, you hear a lot on the news about the ski issue and a lot of people are going out skiing and they're used to being cold so sitting outside and eating is fine with them and they're used to wearing masks anyway but my point basically is we were always geared towards thinking about you know what are the ramifications of certain things so before we worried much more about infection that was transferred through surfaces so we were very conscious of always cleaning the surfaces of our treatment rooms and sterilizing all of the instruments. Now, when it's more of an airborne, we are concerned again about cleaning all the surfaces in the waiting room or any area that a patient could encounter. That being said, we are interviewing people before they come in because if you have been in a high-risk situation, it's better just to reschedule your appointment. And we've had to do that, and it's disappointing for patients, but I have to say there's a trust relationship that has to be developed. So patients have to trust that my team and I are making things as safe as possible for them, and we have to trust that they're going to be honest in their assessment of what's happening in their life. So I had a mother who had her appointment and her son's appointment, and she called and said that um, the quarant- their, her son had encountered someone 
at school who had tested positive, and so they were told to quarantine, and their quarantine would end the day after her appointment was scheduled. And, you know, we had to say, you know, that's okay. We have to reschedule. You know, we just have to follow these guidelines. So I think patients have to trust that we will take care of them, and we have to trust that they will be aware of what we're doing. So that being said, uh, a lot of my staff were all scheduled for vaccines, but uh, most of us had ours done on Thursday. So I can give you an update on how easy a process it is. So we ended up going up to Johnson Memorial. So the way it worked is the public health department contacts uh, health facilities. So we are considered an outpatient facility and designates one person in our office who's in charge of providing the state with emails. And then you are set up with the vaccine website and we made our appointments through them. So when you go in there, some of the places that were closer were already booked up. So we chose to go up to Stafford Springs because they had an appointment sooner. So once we um, had our appointment set up and we went up there, there was maybe a three-minute wait in line because everybody had appointments. And we got our vaccines and we sat there for 20 minutes. And I have to say I'm a little more comfortable with having the vaccine in a hospital because we have heard about allergic reactions. And I don't think any of those were anaphylaxis, but there's what's called an anaphylactoid reaction. So you get rash or, you know, and if you're in a hospital, that's a great place to be able to deal with it. So we did um, get the Moderna vaccine, which I guess is more prevalent because of uh, the environment that you have to ship it. And right away, we were given instructions on scheduling our next appointment. I've also heard that the superintendent of schools are starting to gather the emails of their uh, personnel, their teachers and other personnel in the school, so that probably they will be coming up pretty soon on getting the vaccine. And the reason I'm going on and on about this is, one, that I just think it's so important for as many of us as possible to get the vaccine. And I know for some people it's frustrating because they would like to get the vaccine, but you know, it's not their turn yet. I have to say that Connecticut's organization appeals to me more than some of the states where you know, my friend who lives in Florida said it's just pandemonium of people just waiting for hours outside because it's kind of first come, first serve. So I think our system is working much better. Yeah, and I've also heard some stat that Connecticut also has done the had the most vaccines administered i know there's been some slowdowns as uh, there's been some lack of communication or whatever the case is but we've had a lot more percentage-wise than new york or rhode island or massachusetts so sounds like connecticut's doing something right bernice i'm fascinated by this because you are the first person i have talked to who has actually gotten the vaccine so another thing a couple of questions about this have to do with okay so you apparently didn't have a reaction to it and apparently your staff didn't either but what about the the sore arm thing because people have talked about that a little bit did you have any sensation like that 
So I did, and, and one of the other things that you could do as you were sitting there waiting to see, make sure you didn't have um, an adverse reaction was to sign up for a survey. So every day I get an email that says, you know, here's your survey, how are you feeling today, and there's a whole list of symptoms. So personally, the only thing I felt was some arm soreness and some itchiness, but basically it was, so, for example, lying down in bed, if I, if I turned and leaned on that area where I got the vaccine, it was a little sensitive. Um, my husband, who got the vaccine at the same time, had absolutely no sensations at all. Um, one of, another one of our staff members had no sensation at all. And the third one did feel tired, and she did have some arm soreness, and she's Always when she gets her flu vaccine, she had told me that she always would kind of exercise her arm pretty quickly afterwards to get the circulation going. Well, this time she basically, and I think it's partly just because of having to think about a lot of things at work. She's our office manager, so she's got a lot of things on her mind. So she basically went home and just went to sleep right away. So she thinks she had more soreness the next day because she hadn't really moved her arm. But we got the vaccine on Thursday, and now it's Monday, and I have to kind of remind myself that that I got the vaccine. I mean, that's how little a reaction I've had. I have actually encountered quite a few people who've gotten the vaccine because we have quite a few healthcare providers in our practice, and so a lot of them already had gotten their vaccine the week before, and none of them have gotten their second dose yet, but they hear that the second dose you might have more reactions, but the the survey asks you about you know any symptoms. So I, for example, checked itchiness and soreness, and then the next question is what would you describe that level as: mild, moderate, or severe? So for me, it was mild. The next question is: will this um, interfere with anything? that you have to do in your life, you know, going to work. Or, and so my answer to that was no. And, you know, I like that they're doing that also so that they can keep track of what all of the, the reactions are. But definitely I felt it even less than the flu vaccine or the shingles. Do you get the shot or do you ask for the shot to be in your non-dominant side, meaning if you do have any soreness, which you don't know until you get the actual vaccine, it won't affect your ability to do your job with your dominant side, presumably the right side? Right. I, I did do that. And I have had uh, the experience when we're talking about other vaccinations that are important. I, for example, had my flu shot and my shingles on the same day. So I just had one in each arm so that you know which vaccine reaction. They said that was okay? Because I would think that if you had a reaction, how would you know which one caused the reaction? Well, they put it in opposite arms. And, I mean, that was sort of a mutual decision. So that's why it's done that way, to make sure you know which vaccine reacted which way. Um, so personally, I just had absolutely... Well, I had more symptoms perhaps than my husband did because I had to keep asking him and he had to keep remembering where he had gotten the injection. And would, even with the itchiness and a little bit of soreness, you know, I would look over and there was no redness around the injection site at all. So I don't know if it's partly the person who's doing the, the vaccine, but definitely they had a nice touch and 
no no discomfort at all and the the thing i think also that's important when we're talking about vaccines to remind people of it puts you on the journey of having some um immunity to covid it is not instantaneous <laughs> so you can't let your guard down and basically it was interesting because during this whole period the internet has given me more access to information so when i sign up for various webinars you get on people's mailing lists so i happened to get the new england journal of medicine's uh, information every time they they post um one of their publications and last night i went on it and there were the studies for the moderna vaccine and for the pfizer vaccine and um Basically, I think that I am not going to consider myself to have the full benefit of the vaccine until about seven to ten days after the second dose. Now, there may be from what they're what we're reading that you have some immunity before you get the second dose, but that's not the way that the studies were geared. So that part of it was not studied. So I think that will all happen a lot more as they start testing some people from that original uh, random controlled study of um, how long that immunization lasts. But already it just feels like my body must be busy doing something because it was injected. I was also intrigued by the fact that you said your husband, Stefan, also got it. What was the, the mindset behind that? Is it to make sure that he doesn't get infected and thereby possibly exposing you? Well, he is employed at my office in administration, and basically the guidelines are anyone within your office who has the potential to have direct or indirect patient contact should be eligible for the vaccine. So I was happy to include him. I do know that I know um, during the break we talked a little bit about whether or not it's it's family members and I know that is happening with emergency room physicians in Florida, at least. They are asking them to vaccinate their family members also. Um, so, you know, as I said, getting the Fauci ouchie is a really good thing to do. But there wasn't much in the way the ouchie part of that as well. Have you, as a medical professional, been impressed by, from what you've heard, the number of people who want it? Because there was concern there might be some anti-vaxxers or people who did not want to get this vaccine. Right. And I think what COVID has taught us is, you know, that phrase that's out there, mitigating risk. We cannot completely eliminate the risk of disease, but we can lower that risk. So when we start to make decisions about what we should do, part of my decision-making process was, what is my risk of having an adverse event from the vaccine as compared to an adverse effect from COVID? And in my mind, in my reading, in my assessment, my risk of having a problem from COVID is greater than having a problem with the vaccine the one issue with the vaccine that was in the back of my mind is that potential for an allergic reaction. And I think most often that's not really an allergic reaction to the actual component that's causing you to become immune. It's more about the solutions and the things that they have to 
use to carry that substance to you to get the vaccine. So with uh, when we give people anesthetic, that's lidocaine. It's not really Novocaine, but most people are not really allergic to the actual injection component. They're allergic to the methylparaben, it's called. It's a preservative that is used to keep it active. So there are other things. So in my mind, you mitigate that risk by having it done in a hospital. So if you have a reaction that that can be taken taken care of. And I know each one of us has to think about those things now more than we ever did, but as we talked about again during the break a little bit, there are long-term side effects of COVID. So anything we can do to reduce our potential, and it is a group effort. Um, the, if the majority of us become vaccinated and immune, there just won't be as much virus around, and that will protect the people who weren't vaccinated also. And COVID also affects different people different ways. For example, my soon-to-be 18-year-old niece, Cameron, out in San Diego, her main issue, although she's had plenty of them, her main issue has been an accelerated heart rate up to 150 beats per minute, and it was 130 last week. She had to go to the emergency room again, and she would have been admitted, but there's no room in the ICU, so she was treated and released, and she's seeing a cardiologist. But I'm curious, in your life, Bernice, have you had friends who have either A, tested positive, or B, actually have COVID with symptoms and all that, or B, in your practice, have patients? I know the patients, if they have it, they can't come in if they test positive, and that we've already discussed that. But I'm just curious if you're aware of patients and or friends who have had it or who do have it. Well, I did have one friend who had the ultimate issue and died of COVID, and I knew him personally, and it was back in April, and he was 74 years old, but he uh, either biked or ran almost on a daily basis. He was very athletic and healthy. Um, I've also had, I've had patients who have um, had COVID, you know, and if they had COVID two months ago or whatever, or a certain period of time goes by, then it's okay to see them. They still need their dental care. Um, one woman in particular who comes to mind, she did have the infection and was hospitalized in um, April, and I think she's about 49 years old. And in September, she still was, she's a nurse, she still was not able to return to work. And then I ended up seeing her husband in November, and he said she's just gone back to work, and her issue is fatigue. She just is so um, tired out by the infection that it's just lasted a very long, long time for her. And, you know, it's just this disease, we just don't know enough about it. And I will mention to patients because I lived through the AIDS epidemic. And, you know, it was just so much more predictable. So it could happen to anyone, even though there was a specific population that was higher risk. But when people did get the disease, all of their oral symptoms were the same. When they got pneumonia, it was a certain type of pneumonia. There was a tumor that they would get. It always looked exactly the same. When you looked into the mouth of an AIDS patient, you knew what you were going to see. So there's so much more predictability with that. I had a young couple come in, patients who, um, so this was in, December, and they had COVID in the beginning of November, and they 
both tested positive, her and they're, uh, I don't think they're 30 yet, late 20s, her course was really minimal. His was much worse. Now, he doesn't have any long-term effects, but, I mean, it's a huge area for study, but makes it really difficult that there are so many potential risk factors. And uh, my study club, actually, one of our members posted an article that uh, I was reading again last night about COVID and sleep apnea. And, you know, that makes sense that sleep apnea is restricted ability to breathe. And so if you put COVID on top of that, that can be a really dangerous situation. And then when people are using CPAP machine with positive air pressure, you know, what effect does that have on it? We know that obesity is a risk factor. So it's a risk factor for sleep apnea. Also, this study that they published was actually done in Finland, where the COVID rates are pretty low, but the people who contracted COVID who also had sleep apnea were at a much higher level than was expected. So, for example, I think in their population, 3% of the people have sleep apnea. And of the COVID patients, 21% of the patients had sleep apnea and COVID. So they looked at obesity, and again, the rates of obesity are lower than the rates of people with sleep apnea. So we talk about confounding factors, but in their study, sleep apnea seemed to be a bigger risk factor than obesity. But the bottom line is there's just so much we don't know yet. You know, once we can reach, you know, who are the vulnerable people, but that that will take a while. I don't think that seeing the side effects of the vaccine will take as long as trying to figure out who is the the risk group for COVID. Bernice, one word you use often on these programs is research. You do a lot of homework, so you're prepared for what we're going to talk about. And by the way, we're kind of taking a side trip here away from what the original plan was, because I think a lot of people want to know about this stuff. But from what you have read, from what you have researched, all right, you got the Moderna vaccine on Thursday. How much more protected are you now in case you were exposed than you were on Thursday? I know it's not 100%. It's not 90%. But do you have some additional layer protection now while that vaccine starts to settle in your body? I believe I do, um, but I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's anything to write home about. You know, I picture there is that, for example... The comparison I use is wearing gloves. So we wear gloves when we treat patients, but we take those gloves off after every patient and wash our hands because washing your hands destroys the bacteria that's on your hands that you can transfer. The glove will carry bacteria on it, so you need to throw it away. So that's that example of the people who wear gloves to the grocery store you could be potentially exposing people a lot more. If you just used your washed hands, the residual effect of destruction of viruses and bacteria on your hands lasts a lot longer than the gloves. So wearing a mask, socially distancing, washing your hands, we know that really works well. I think that you can't let your guard down. So 
I will continue to do that as long as we have this epidemic around. But I think my immunity will be really great after my second injection, which I have scheduled for the end of January. As a medical professional, what advice do you have for our listeners who, when their time is ready, could get a vaccine? Again, there may be some people who will be able to who do not want to for whatever personal philosophy they've got. But what is your position as far as whether people should get the vaccine when their number is called? I believe that everybody should get the vaccine if there are no other reasons for them not getting the vaccine. So somebody who's in the category of having had an organ transplant or something like that, you know, there are some situations where you just really have to confer closely with your physician about whether or not that's appropriately. I think, though, if the bulk of us get the vaccine and there are people who have philosophical issues with the vaccine, I think we'll help protect them also. I wish that everyone would get the vaccine. That's my, my personal viewpoint as a um, health, health provider. Um, and so that being said, I know there's frustration out there with people who do want to get the vaccine and haven't been able to. And my piece of advice on that is do not call the pharmacies because, you know, they really are not able to give you that much information. So I would recommend speaking to your physician. That's one thing. I know there's the website. I don't remember what it is right now, but where you can go on. It's a ct.gov site where you can see where you line up in the tier of when you could be getting the vaccine. And then if you think that you're in a higher tier and you haven't heard anything yet, then you could call your physician or your local public health department. They are the ones who really are monitoring a lot of what's happening in our state. And what message would you have for the folks who are concerned that by getting the vaccine, they might expose themselves to coronavirus? As I understand it, there's no live corona COVID in that vaccine. So the risk factor of that is like zero. Yes. And the so one thing is you never get a live virus when you get a vaccine. It's what we call attenuated. So they always do something to make sure that you're not getting a virus that could make you sick. You know, that's all always done. But with these vaccines, the research that was done to lead us to a point where we could develop a vaccine that is specifically targeted to just a part of the virus was taking place for years before these vaccines were developed. We were just able to use that research to develop a vaccine that actually is geared towards those little protein spikes that are on the outside of this virus. And those protein spikes are the ones that create a gateway that opens its way into the bloodstream and into the cells. So we know that those are the components that allow the virus to enter your body. So all we had to do, all we had to do, which was a major feat, was to create the messenger RNA that identifies those protein spikes. And then when we give that to people, we're not giving them a replica of the whole virus. We're just giving them a replica. It's just like you're giving the key to people instead of 
you know, opening your whole home to them. We continue discussing Feeling Good Starts from the Inside. Dr. Bernice Shafarik from Shafarik Dental on Route 66 East in Columbia. Earlier this morning, Bernice, we talked about New Year's resolutions and should people be making them involving dentistry as well. Are there roadblocks to resolutions? Do you think there are roadblocks to resolutions, Wayne? I think there's roadblocks to nearly every resolution, which I think is why people make them, because they have a goal to maybe change their life, hopefully for the better. If, if, if there weren't roadblocks, they probably wouldn't need to make a resolution in the first place. How's that for an answer? That's very true. That's very true. So I think we all know that, and the research says that usually most people retain their resolve for about four to six weeks, and then and then things get in the way of that. So um, I have had the opportunity over the last 35 years to have people come in and, and want to take better care of their teeth, especially flossing, because that's just not a really fun thing to do, and have a lot of trouble making sure that happens. And I think one of the biggest roadblocks is a negative attitude, and that's either within yourself or on the part of the people who are there to help you achieve your goal. So it's very important to me to try to be as positive and hopeful and encouraging as possible. I think in our profession over the years, you know, there's been that um, concept of I have bad teeth, you know, and I'll People will say that to me, and I'll say, well, are they a discipline problem? You know, what, what do you mean you have bad teeth? And I think what they mean is that they're not as healthy as they would like to be. But by calling them bad teeth, all of a sudden you get yourself into this bad, good kind of situation, and you start to tell yourself, well, I'm bad because I don't floss. So even with, and with kids, to me, that's so important. I think our next show in February will be about children's dentistry because it's Children's Dental Health Month. But it's always depressing to me when parents react to the fact that their child needs to have decay repaired as if it's that child's fault, that they didn't brush well enough. Well, that's partially a concern. But in particular, recently I had a, a new patient come in and and the parent had that reaction, and, and I understand that because they really want their kids to be as healthy as possible, and they want them to do everything possible. But since I was in the room, I had the opportunity to ask my hygienist, what do you think his plaque levels were like? So when you're at home, your goal is to try to remove as much plaque as possible. That's all you can do besides diet that can impact whether or not you get cavities. And her answer was, he has very little plaque in his mouth. So whatever he's doing is working as far as plaque removal, but he had decay anyway. And I believe it's because this new six-year-old molar permanent tooth that came into his mouth had a very deep groove in one area, and it was almost impossible to keep that area bacteria-free and, you know, maybe he's got more vulnerability, but we have to get out of that mode of punishing or trying to blame people for their health problems. And I think we do that to ourselves, definitely, 
in, in dentistry. Well, you know, years ago I used to floss irregularly, but then I read something in a book that's inspired me to floss every day since then. It was something along the lines of, if you're pressed for time, just floss the teeth you want to keep. So would one of the dental New Year's resolutions perhaps be floss more? Yes, it definitely would benefit most people. Floss more, come in for your dental visit. And I do see also nowadays a difficult problem we have is when people wait. So, for example, if you had a filling come out, you feel that there's something going on in your mouth. Don't delay calling because you you wait until you're in pain. It's much harder to squeeze people in the way we used to. You know, we definitely have to have the appropriate amount of time to clean after an aerosol treatment. So it's not as easy to squeeze in. So that would be one piece of advice I have for people. Don't delay. And I think what you said is very true, Wayne. Only floss the ones you want to keep. But another thing that I think really works well with all of our resolutions is to get into a routine. You know, there's that saying that you can only create a routine after 21 days. So if you move the trash basket for 21 days, you'll be throwing trash in the wrong place, but then it'll get to you that, no, 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 I've got this new habit. So making things routine is very important. So people will say to me, oh, I just don't have the time. Well, you know, then you need to time yourself. You know, how long does it really take you to floss all of your teeth? And I think most people will realize it's really not that much time. And the encouraging thing is with the COVID situation and a lot more people being at home, there seems to be a slight uptick in people's oral hygiene habits, that there seem to be more people flossing. It's not a huge percentage, but it does seem to be getting a little better. Speaks volumes about cabin fever. All right, so in 2021, Bernice, how do we, how do I achieve my health goals? So one thing is, as we talked about, to assess your health. You know, what is it that you need to change? And then I would advise people to prioritize that. You know, it's not let's do everything all at once because that just gets too overwhelming, but set goals for yourself. For, For example, when people talk about weight loss, instead of saying, oh, I need to lose 50 pounds, to say, My goal is to lose a pound a week. So just to give yourself attainable goals. So when my patients come in, some of them will say, oh, I'm not really great at flossing. So first of all, do you have trouble understanding what it is you need to do when you floss? Because we could correct that. We can watch you floss and give you hints about how to do a better job or maybe use different tools. If it's more about I'm bad about remembering to floss than creating a routine is important. So some of those people, I'll say, well, how often do you floss? And they'll say two to three times a week. Well, that's great because that's already a routine. You know, never flossing to flossing every day is a lot harder journey than I floss two to three times a week to I'm going to floss four to five times a week, and now I'm going to try to floss every day. So that resolve is really important. And the rewards are not immediate. I mean, they're better for weight loss or stopping smoking. You can see those benefits sooner than you can the effect of flossing. But it definitely does 
make a difference, I can tell you, and it's probably one of the lowest cost things that you can do to improve your health. This might be difficult to do on the radio, so I want your very best theater of the mind. Can you floss the wrong way, or just a matter of the better you do it, even if you don't do it as well, it's still going to be beneficial? No, here's the, here's the deal. Plaque is a biofilm, so it's the sticky white stuff that gets caught on the side of your tooth. So if I like people to think about it, for example, when your car has some really built-up stained areas, you go through the power wash, they go through there, and they first by hand rub away that stained area. That's what you're doing with your floss because the plaque is sticky. So think about cleaning your tooth and not your gums. So what one some people do wrong is they snap it through and slam into the gum tissue. The gum tissue is not where the plaque is sticking. It's the side of your tooth. So you need to gently go in there and be thinking about how you're rubbing up and down along the side of your tooth. And what you're trying to do is to remove that sticky substance, the white plaque. Even if you don't remove every single bit, the plaque, the bacteria that causes gum infection is what we call anaerobic, so it doesn't like air. So if you're rubbing along the tooth surface with your floss, you're interrupting their lifestyle. So you're doing a very useful thing. They can't cause as much damage. So hopefully that theater of the mind was successful. That was really, really good. And lastly, you know, we've done a million of these shows in the last 30 or whatever it is years. I don't think I ever asked this question before, but from a nutrition standpoint, and maybe people want to change some behaviors in the new year, 2021, are there things that we could add to our diet or eat more of in our diet that would enhance dental or oral health? Uh, most of them are the things that enhance most of your health. So as long as you have healthy teeth and you can crunch into things like fresh vegetables, that is more self-cleansing than other things. Popcorn is problematic. You know, it doesn't have much nutritional value, and the kernels get caught and cause cause problems. I think the thing that's most successful is when people come in for their visits and we ask them, you know, especially if somebody has more decay than I expect, you know, tell me about your diet. And you find out that maybe their diet's not that bad, but they're drinking energy drinks several times a day. Or they're eating something at night after they've already brushed their teeth. So I think it's just definitely a customized program, and we, we endeavor to just try to treat every patient as an individual and find out what their particular situation is. Dr. Benit Shafarik from Shafarik Dental in Columbia. The main topic was feeling good starting from the inside, but we also took a side trip, a fascinating side trip, about her getting the Moderna vaccine and members of her office as well back on Thursday. Hope that was informational as well. From Bernice Shafarik at Shafarik Dental on Route 66 East in Columbia. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.